Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation. I'm going to be talking about a number of things tonight, but one of them is the kingdom of God. And so, kids, if you are listening, I would love for you to imagine what the kingdom of God is like. And then if you want to draw it, build it with Legos, build it with clay or Play-Doh, or even write a poem or a story about it, we would love to get those imaginations working. And then grown-ups, we're going to use our imaginations too, because I want to start us off with a poem. This is Harlem by Langston Hughes. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? Well, our texts this week from the lectionary readings are all about this kind of dream-deferred time. In the gospel that we just read, Jesus warns his disciples that when they go out proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing people and delivering them from demons, the road's going to be long and hard, and people are going to oppose them. This kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated is already and not yet. It's deferred. And sometimes for those who are tasked with proclaiming it and extending it, it sags like a heavy load. And then right before that, Juliet read from Romans 5. And we heard that because of Adam, sin and death and deception have had their way on the earth since all of human history. But now, because of Jesus, that is all being reversed. But that too is still a dream deferred. So we don't have to look far to see how sin still infects every institution, every system in our world. This week brought us World Refugee Day and the remembrance of the Charleston Nine, in case we needed any further reminders. And then we don't have to look very deep in ourselves to see the reminders, too, of the sin that is always there, our greed, our selfishness, our hatred of our enemies, our hardness of heart, the way we forget God, the way we're indifferent to others' suffering. So that freedom from sin that Jesus brings is also this dream deferred. And sometimes it's like a festering sore. And then before that, the Ortegas read as Psalm 69, this cry from King David for deliverance, where he says, save me, God, the waters are up to my neck. I'm so tired of crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail me. I've waited for so long. And King David's crying out for God to rescue him, for God to stand on his promises and make things right. And again, we see that the rule and reign and promises of God on earth are a dream deferred. They're like this dried up raisin that sticks in David's throat. And finally, the passage at the very beginning that Christine read, which is gonna be our focus for tonight. We hear the prophet Jeremiah crying out in anguish because God has called him in many ways to this ministry of deferred dreams. 
Jeremiah is our most prolific prophet. He writes the second longest book in the Bible. The only longer one is the Psalms. And in this long book, we hear him say how again and again, over 40 years, he tells people that they've broken their covenant with God, that judgment is coming. And then beyond that, deliverance and a new covenant. And Jeremiah keeps prophesying this over and over and over, but nothing around him changes. And so the people laugh at him. They mock him and ignore him. They abuse him and mistreat him. They wait and see that the fulfillment of his prophecy is just deferred. And so by chapter 20, our passage for tonight, Jeremiah is about to explode. I'm going to read it again. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Well, as we take in these words from Jeremiah, I want to suggest two things for us. First, that like Jeremiah, we are living in this dream deferred time. And then second, that like him, the way we live faithfully and prophetically in this time is to lament. So first, what do I mean when I say we're living in this dream deferred time? Well, first and most obviously, we are living through a global pandemic. And this pandemic has disrupted our lives. It has deferred many of our dreams. It's deferred the health and the economy of the whole world. Plans are deferred. School is deferred. Corporate worship in person in a building is deferred. Economic growth is deferred. And for many of the world's people, their next paycheck is deferred. Their next meal is deferred. And for some in hospital wards and nursing homes, even tonight, their next breath is deferred. People are dying. People are grieving. People are waiting. And there's no certainty about what comes next. And then on top of all of that, here in the U.S. in the past few weeks, it's become painfully evident that that deferred dream of Langston Hughes himself, of the poet, is indeed still deferred. That Black people still lack justice in this country. That 55 years after the end of Jim Crow, and 155 years after the end of slavery, we still have a long way to go. And as if to drive this home, Friday was Juneteenth, this dream-deferred holiday, if ever there was one. And Juneteenth marks the day when news of the Emancipation Proclamation finally reaches the slaves in Galveston, Texas, kind of the most remote outcrop of the Confederacy where there is still slavery. And there's this two and a half year gap between the proclamation of their freedom 
and they're receiving that freedom. And then in many ways, we're still in this gap from that time to now where we're still waiting for the complete fulfillment of that freedom. We're still waiting for merciful and just systems of education and housing and criminal justice. We're still waiting for healing and repentance and reconciliation of our national story, of the way we talk about race. So we're waiting for these deferred dreams of a world healed of racism and injustice, of a world healed of COVID-19 and of hunger and of lockdowns. But we're God's people. And so we're waiting for even more than that. We're waiting for the dream deferred in all those passages we read tonight. And indeed, all of scripture. We're waiting for that day when the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea when Christ is all and in all. We're waiting for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God where there is no more sorrow, no more injustice, no more sin and death stalking the earth. When the nations are healed, when people from every tribe and language are gathered around the throne of God, singing his praises in unity. And the more time we spend with this dream, the more time we spend in scripture and in worship and in prayer, the richer and the fuller the reality of that kingdom becomes for us. And then as it does, the deeper our grief, that that is not the way things are now. Our world is this terrible distortion of the way things are meant to be. And that brings me to my second point, that the way that we live faithfully and prophetically in this time is to lament. Now in tonight's passage, Jeremiah lays out this explosive rage and grief toward God. It actually goes on a lot longer than the section we read. It goes on for a big chunk of the book of Jeremiah that's sometimes called the Confessions of Jeremiah. He uses the powerful language and formula of lament the same language that the psalmists use. And it's so raw here in Jeremiah 20 that it comes dangerously close to blasphemy, especially in those first few verses where Jeremiah accuses God of deceiving him, overpowering him. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, this is the language used for abusers, for violent perpetrators. And Jeremiah is now turning this language and using it against God himself. It's really raw. It's really rough. There's this almost shocking intimacy and honesty to his prayers. And yet he cannot escape this prophetic calling. He has God's words in his heart and in his bones like burning fire. And he cannot contain it even if he wanted to. And so he laments, he pours it out. Prophets lament. And while lament might seem kind of like just this emotional outburst, it's actually a really powerful prophetic tool. It's one of the main ways, maybe the main way, that the prophets like Jeremiah help God's people hold on to the reality of the kingdom of God. And lament does involve emotion. Tears are shed and clothes are torn. 
and tables in the temple are thrown over. But more than that, lament is this willful decision to enter in, to enter into the suffering of the world, to enter into the grief of God. Lament will not look away and it will not let God's people look away and pretend that all is well when it is not well. Lament refuses to be distracted or entertained or numbed by all the false comforts of this world. So lament invites people to experience reality, the reality of the kingdom of God. And this kingdom needs lament because the king himself laments because God himself chose not to turn away, but to enter into human suffering all the way to the anguish in the garden and the pain of the cross. So lament brings us into the crucified life of Jesus. There's no resurrection without the cross. There's no kingdom of God without this slain king. And so if we are called to be kingdom bearers, and we are, and if we are called to proclaim resurrection hope to this dream deferred world, then we have to become people who lament. And not once, but again and again and again, like Jeremiah. The world needs you and it needs me and it needs the church to lead the way in this courageous, prophetic act of lament. One of the most powerful things that I've ever done in my own relationship with God is to write a lament psalm about an experience of trauma from my own childhood. And I think this is a great place to start learning how to lament with our own broken lives. Now our time of silence tonight isn't gonna be enough time for that exercise, but I've written up a blog with just simple instructions for writing a lament and I'll post it with the sermon tomorrow. And I really hope that you will try it this week. Well, as we enter into our time of silence, I want you to ask God where to begin with this act of lament. What area of your life, or of our common life, of our national or our global life, needs your tears? What area needs your anger or your confession to be brought into God's presence? Ask God to send his fire into your bones so that you cannot contain it.